episode 55 oh really bloody made it haven't we yeah, what started out as a uh, little old lockdown project has now been going for over two and a half years and for that i thank you all so much seriously you know for for lending me your ears listening in sharing caring posting and toasting so uh yeah this week it's my turn people so strap yourselves in now uh <laughs> I could tell you how how much I wanted to be a fucking hipster or, you know, top-tier turbo muso wanker and pick some obscure nuggets, but pff, fuck that. So uh, I grabbed my old pal Stephen Hill from the True Cult Pop Podcast to come chat about my love of the British and Irish rock scene of the late 90s. Of course it was going to be. Was it was I ever going to talk about anything else on here to celebrate episode 50? Come on. So uh, yeah, we've got loads of chat about Curb Dog, Terrorvision, The Mighty Three Colours Red tons more so uh yeah let's do this folks please enjoy two old farts chatting about the good old days i'll be back in a bit enjoy top five side ones track one you're listening to the track one side one podcast with me your host gaz jones Each week, a guest picks their five favorite album opening tracks, and we dissect, discuss, and debate each one. So let's put on our classics and have a little chat then, shall we? Hello, you guys. Welcome, loyal listeners, to the Track One Side One podcast. You have not stumbled into some sort of alternate universe where Gaz Jones, the main man, the leader of this excellent podcast, has morphed into a man with a sexier voice. Let's be real about it, a sexier voice. It's actually me, Stephen Hill, a former guest on the podcast. You might know me from my work uh, on the True Cop Pop podcast, which Gaz has been a guest on before. Hello and welcome to a magnificent episode 50 here on the track one side one podcast i am your host i know it is odd isn't it discombobulating but my guest on not even my actual podcast is the guy whose podcast it is i'm joined weirdly oddly like some kind of inception type thing by gaz jones how are you doing gaz 
I'm all right, mate. That was uh, <laughs> that's a bloody good intro. You're the confusing you're pro, mate. <laughs> it's confusing. Well, I wanted you got to address the confusion. You got to address the elephant in the room straight away. That this is your yeah. podcast, but for one it week is. only, you are the guest on your own podcast. It's pretty cool. I, I, it is pretty cool. You know, it's 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 cool that I kind of got to 50 episodes. This this thing that I kind of started in lockdown has, has reached 50 episodes, which is which is fucking mad, really. You know, a nice little sort of labour of love slash hobby that I've managed to hook up with some fucking awesome people like your good self. And um, so, you know, I thought I'd, you know, play players privilege and uh, do do my do my top five. Because, you know, let's be honest, it is the fucking hot topic on the table. Ooh, oh, I big Gaza pick for his top five. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's not a straight just top five. So what I will say before we get going, congratulations on 50 episodes. You've That's had right. some cracking episodes. Like, you know, I am mm. not just a guest. I've been a listener for a little while now. I love Cheers, the variety of not only the guests, but the variety of the music that the guests pick. Who would have thought Dom Lawson would be coming on here and rambling on about mad old psychedelic prog records. Not me, not this guy, uh, but he did. And it was great. It was fucking great. And what I love about it is, I mean, obviously you know what people pick before, but I love how you kind of, you pick up that baton and your passion for music always shines through in every episode. Um, even though I do generally, when I think about you, I think about one particular time and one particular strand of music. But what I do want to say is I've, I've maybe unfairly maligned and painted you as Mr. Brit Rock for a little while but regular listeners will know that Gaz's breadth of musical knowledge is uh is deep and vast as the ocean blue yeah true that I mean yeah I think that's fair I've been you know I've been a musical nerd for as literally as long as I can remember you know being a kid and being on long car journeys and deconstructing queen songs in the backseat of the fucking Mm. my dad's Ford Cortina Crusader wonderful <laughs> those are the days I mean that you are yeah. definitely giving that a very specific time period you're getting almost like to the month yeah. almost yeah. <laughs> like, do you yeah. know what I mean yeah. Yeah. Decade, no, the no, no, no seatbelts on the back overrated <laughs> really not. I mean no, no, fucking overrated um, cigarette cigarette yeah. lighter in the front isn't it tape yeah deck. yeah, yeah. ashtrays in the Classic. back as well oh you lovely know. stuff what you need living the dream. young family no? yeah fucking brilliant yeah um <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I've, mate. I've always yeah i've always loved music just kind of everything i've i've never seen it as kind of particularly tribal or you, sh- you because you're into that you're not allowed to like that i loved it all even like i mean like when i was younger i did keep a few things kind of <laughs> undercover as you Mark well Owen. know Mark Owen, hello. <laughs> yeah. And, and now it's just like, oh, come on, man. It's, it's all fucking great. And it, 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 friends of mine have said to me over the years, I, I will find something positive to say about the shittest of, of th- music. Um, and I'll, I'll take that. I know, mate. I've seen you tweet. And- uh, pop collaborate and listen about Phil Collins so I know this to be true of you yeah. <laughs> mate mate I was literally uh, my whole life was leading up to that moment when they stopped, when they did both sides I was, I, I was so happy mm. Mm. <laughs> it's dog shit because I knew it was absolute dog shit yeah. and uh, a, a good friend of mine who actually did buy us at the time has always kind of stood by that album and, I'm, and I've always been like it ain't great it ain't great 
It's not but, great. Uh, but, mate, to go back to your yeah. original point, I actually think that's much more admirable definitely a clearly it is to find something to see the good in stuff i think is very is an is an admirable trait i think it's often harder with bad music i mean you know on true cop pop my podcast last week well when it, i don't know when it's going out but as we record of last week you know i was singing the praises of james blunt which is not something i want to do on a regular basis obviously but occasionally you got to look at it and go you know what <laughs> people like this shit and it's all right it's all right to like all the different types of music and i think that's a, again it's what's great about this show you can, you know everyone who comes on here they will talk about uh, tend to be like a slight nod in the direction of guitar music but mm. you never quite know what's going to come out and um and i love that it's cool it's a it's a, it's a great listen it's a different smorgasbord every week and you've got some, you've yeah. had some excellent people and me as well and me and you, Andy, we both lost our collective shit over over Buffalo Buffalo stance, which is uh, I think I think that was our bonding moment, mate. To be definitely, mate, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I wondered because when you you know I didn't really know you when you messaged me, and I did go, is he going to go? What's that Buffalo? I don't even know. And when you were like, this is the great, I was like, is he just saying this? And then when you got nah. into it, I was like, no, no, no. it's part <laughs> of the cult of Nana Cherry's Buffalo stance, which is still, Damn as right. far as I'm concerned, the great. It's, it's the um, if if the if it was a, if it was a, if it was a, a film, it would be Jaws. It's that good. Do you know what I mean? It's like other things have come with more money and bigger budgets, but you can't yeah, but you can't topple the quality of it. It's so great. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to get I want to talk too much about Buffalo Stance, otherwise we'll, this will be a nine hour long podcast. Um Thanks for having me, mate. Congratulations on fifty episodes. We're gonna do something different, we're gonna do something special. You have picked certainly have. your top five mm. track one, side ones of a mm. particular genre of a particular era. So we yeah. are looking at essentially a six year period for British and Irish guitar music. Yeah. So seven year period, in fact. I thought mm. one of them was 2001, it's actually 2002. It's, it's basically yeah. a seven year period. It's kind of the um, the glory days of Brit rock to, um, I guess it's, inevitable americanization right that's what we're looking yeah. at here yeah mm. um to, to be honest it was like week in week out every guest i've had has been like oh it's so hard thinking of of songs oh it's so hard thinking of songs and you know I, I always kind of slightly kind of you know have a little kind of chuckle at them going yeah, yeah it's meant to be ha and i'm like yeah it is it's fucking impossible so I've chosen a particular period of my life and a particular style of music that, that I learnt about from a particular magazine. Mm -hmm. So, which would be and, Kerrang magazine. Well, it would be Kerrang, obviously, yeah, yeah. Magazine, you know, especially at that time, you know, the glory years, as I call it, when Fell Alexander was still editor, mm -hmm. um, and they were they were pushing. Like Brit British, you know, slash Irish um, music, incredibly hard in the magazine, week in week out, um, and it it I was the kind of perfect age for it, like being eighteen in nineteen ninety six, um, and being exposed to all this music and going to my first festivals and going to lots of gigs, and and hearing this stuff uh, on the radio. And a lot of these bands kind of became bona fide pop stars, you know. Um, 
and it was it was such a wonderful wonderful time to be like a teenager in the mid to late 90s with all this kind of music and and with all like the tv shows that these bands appeared on be that jules holland be that tfi friday be that the white room if you remember the white room about to say the white room man fucking incredible yeah incredible show um uh, obviously the like the tail end of the word as well uh top Mm -hmm. of the pops you know Mm. You know, therapy were on top of the pop, Wild Hearts, Terrorvision, all the three colours red. A lot, a lot of these bands were on top of the pops. So Silver Summer on top of the pops. Even the chart um, show. Yeah, like, chart show. I know the videos, but you know, shout out the chart show yeah, as well. Great. Yeah, shout out chart, rock, you know, the rock chart every every three weeks or whatever. It was, mm. that was bloody wonderful. Mm. Um, and you know, going to gigs, going to like rock clubs and rock city and you know go down to like feet first at the um at the old Camden palace and stuff like that <laughs> fucking hell great. yeah i know go cool. yeah it was uh, that's yeah. just taken me somewhere yeah <laughs> same it always does when, yeah. whenever whenever i go to um it doesn't happen that often now but whenever i do go to like coco's as it's called now for a gig mm. i do it just this whiff of nostalgia just washes over me so much that it's like, oh man, you know, feet first. But it was, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful time, you know, going to like Reading and stuff and seeing, seeing a lot of these bands and reading about them in Korea. And they kind of felt like, like ours, you know, like for the previous like six, seven years in Kerrang, it was all kind of American bands going from the hair metal stuff and the thrash stuff into like grunge. And then all of a sudden, it was just week in, week out, British bands on a whole. And it was, and it hit. They, gave, they gave them a real push. Yeah, and it, it hit something. Like I, I was sort of listening to these songs today and I, I put on a few others mm. in the aftermath as well because, you yeah. know, <clears throat> undoubtedly like some of it, I, I think were you to play, like obviously Sam, who I do Chukot Pop with, is, is 29. And <laughs> trying to get him to listen to like, I don't know. Chaos. Or, yeah yeah do you know what i mean or like you know china drum or something yeah. you know it, it, it he just sort of goes i don't really know why i need to listen to this like to him it's like probably like what we were like listening to chuck berry or something when we were kids we were just like what is yeah. this rudimentary old sounding yeah quite kind of like yeah. simplistic uh because you know all of that stuff i, I think you know it, you're right. Everything you said, it 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 chimes with me and resonates with me so beautifully. Yeah. Because you're so yeah. right. Because I was so the right age for it. And yeah. you know, for me, you know, I loved grunge because it felt like that thing where you just go, "Fuck, this isn't David Lee yeah. Roth." And yeah, yeah, you know, it was the light bulb moment. Yeah, and it was like, oh, these bands. <clears throat> they don't look like arena bands they look like just, you know I can dress like that and maybe I could play the riff to fucking lithium or whatever like maybe I could do yeah. that and but yet you also then kind of at the same time certainly from you know being from a small village in Hampshire where we didn't quite get everything we were maybe like six months or a year behind everything so once like Common People and Wonderwall and Girls and Boys and Britpop happened mm-hmm. we were still on the grunge thing but we liked the more kind of upbeat sound of, we'd listen to Blur, but we'd also listen to Alice in Chains and you'd go like, well, yeah. where's the middle ground of that? Who is the middle ground of that? Mm. Probably television, right? It's heavy and it's glammy and it's British. Yeah. yeah. 
but it's kind of it's it's much and it's poppy but it's yeah. much more gritty and just a bit more dirty and a bit more nice. and to me you know like i was like oh that kind of they're all these bands and they sort of tick both those boxes for me you, you know therapy mm. are ticking both those boxes you know that I've, I've sort of moved on to we probably will talk obviously we're going to talk about television in a second but you know like so yeah. many of these bands who were british and they felt really british and they felt like um they felt like rock stars but they didn't feel like rock stars in the same way as like dexter holland I mean, like i've looked at dexter holland no. and go, oh he's a rock he's a he's actually gonna yeah. be a, a rock star yeah billy joe armstrong they felt be like a rock star they felt like i was down the pub yeah yeah and they you did know? have that kind of pub rock thing about them still um yeah, huge but also Britpop was so massive that you kind of they were able to sneak in and just be like yeah we're we're kind of part of this as well we're just sort of yeah. not as well you know we're kind yeah. of not like the wild arts and oasis I think the attitude that both of them have was pretty similar, but I know they hated each other. I know they looked at each yeah. other and they were like, oh, mods yeah. and rockers, like all that. Like they did, yeah. they had all that. Um, yeah. And for like a yeah. little tiny moment when grunge went away and before new metal and pop punk really blew up, it was suddenly in charge of of like yeah. rock guitar music. Like we were suddenly, we had all these little fun, funny little idiosyncratic bands who were yeah. kind of in charge of like, we're yeah. the big ones. We're the fucking yeah. big ones. It was mad when you think about it. For two or three years. Fucking just crazy. Absolutely crazy. You mm. know. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Like, just could not happen now. Just could not happen. No. No, not in a million years. Not in a million years. Um, you know, did Britpop help that? Yes. Because um, obviously it brought, you know, guitar music back into the charts and stuff like that. Uh, but it was just... As far as I was concerned, both kind of scenes walked hand in hand through my life during mm. that period. Mm. Be that Oasis, be that Reef, be that Wild Hearts, Ash, uh, Blur, Pulp, you know, Supergrass. You know, all British bands. Fucking crazy. Matt fucking time. crazy. You know, and then you put Euronite on top of that and, you know, New Labour and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was, you know... Yeah, I am going to get Misty Eye because I don't give a shit. But it was it was fucking amazing being was. 18 around that time. It was fucking unbelievable. Yeah. You know, um, I, I you know train did. spotting as well. You put that in there as well. It was just all, you know, all this, you know Damien Hurst, all this kind of shit. It was, it was, it was mad. I, uh, be- I used to work with a guy in probably going back about five years now. He was about 23. Um, so he's probably like 27 now. And um, yeah. He said, "Used to like this is if, if people think we are being misty-eyed. This twenty-three-year-old kid was like, I can't believe you grew up and saw the birth of the Premier League. I'm so fucking jealous of when footballs <laughs> could be Eric Cantona and could be Ryan Giggs, could be and Lee Sharp and could, like all those." And he was like, "And mm. Janola and you had the Spice Boys and stuff like that." And he was like, "And the music, Colin, he, Colin Hendry, Colin Hendry, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could be Colin Hendry, just a big Scottish." Yeah, I don't know much about football like now, but I can I can name a lot of nineties football players. Like that. Yeah, and he was like, "I, you know, he's like football's better now, but back then it felt." Everything yeah. felt like raw and just, it was a fucking wild yeah, west. This, and he was like, and yeah. you know, he's like, I'm you know, going to see Oasis or going to see Blur or whatever. Like, he's, he was 23 and he was just like, I love the 90s. I love it. So yeah. I don't Good think, lad. I don't think it's in our imagination, a lot of it, you know. I don't think it's in our imagination. Um, it was great. And I think this will help to maybe if you're listening and you're going fucking hell it's just going to be two old bastards going on about how things used to be better I mean fair warning yes it is 
But also, yeah. I think there's there's method to our madness, and we'll get into it right now. Your first pick, Gaz. First of all, how hard to get them five over that period to tell that story? I think you've done a grand job, but how hard was it for you? I think my initial shortlist was about 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that wasn't even trying. Um, I mean, the, kind of the way... The way the, the way I've decided to do it on, on the podcast today, um, firstly, I've decided to pick pick five bands that, A, mean a lot to me still. I'd certainly meant a lot to me at the time. Fucking hell, you know. Um, but also, I want to pick five bands that have never been spoken about on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, that meant no Wild Hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh Unfortunately, um, no therapy. Mm-hmm. So, good. <laughs> to be fair, I've spoken about therapy at length recently. <laughs> Which yeah, you're going to do some more soon as well, aren't you? So, you know, I, I am, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, kind of wanted to pick five songs that were kind of pivotal to like various periods of my life that whenever I hear them now, instantly take me back to a certain time at a certain place, um, wherever that may be, like be that like a job, a festival, uh, a band I was in at the time, a club night, things like that. Um, but also, um, just they're five, they're five tracks from from five albums that I still listen to, pretty much monthly, even now. Pe- people that know me will be like, "That's really not a surprise at all." <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, and, and, and I think it's, it's bands that maybe some people have kind of forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think these albums on a whole have dated incredibly well. I do genuinely think that try, you know, I was trying to look at it kind of, of course I'm going to think, oh, they're fucking brilliant. Of course they are, you know, yeah. but I was just like, do they still sound decent? Are they still good songs? And I think, I think that was the power of with so many of these bands. They were just really fucking good songwriters, just yeah. really good songwriters. You know, that's all it was. It was just you know one or two guitars, bass, drums, and a vocalist. That was it. Maybe a keyboard player. You know, and just they're just good fucking pop songs. If you break them down to so that, you know, you know, could any of these songs work if it was just one guy and an acoustic guitar? Mm. Yes, I do generally think they would all mm. work. Yep. as like a solo acoustic song and I think that's the for me that's the definition definition of a great song yeah I agree so let's kick it off I mean the start of it so we're going to start on a record that was released on the 18th of April 1994 um, I think it's worth saying just for a little bit of context it's worth bringing up the Wild Hearts because I do think in terms of a band I guess that yeah. certainly defined the early era of certainly. this music the Wild Hearts mm-hmm. are the band but I think if you're talking about a band who define maybe the most kind of com- like surprisingly commercially successful, you said like a few of these bands became actual pop stars. Yeah. Terrorvision were yeah. called like the new Slade yeah. at one point. And How to Make Friends with yeah. Influence People yeah. it's, was a commercially successful very commercially successful record and critically as well and critically yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean yeah. um after formaldehyde which is fine kind of all right in it yeah. it's all right uh this is a big old step yeah it's up. all right it's got my house on it which it's is got my american tv's great yeah, as well. 
Yeah. They're the two, aren't they? Off that album, I reckon. There he is. He's got it on there tape. It is. How to make friends and influence on people yeah. uh, when people is on actual cassette tape. I think you threw me there for a second. Uh, so yeah, I don't Alice said I, I bought. Yeah, Alice, what's the matter? As the opening track to that record, yeah, gone. Yeah. Hit me. What's the? What's the? I mean, I mean it, 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 it's like you said there. Like the, the step up between formaldehyde. Because I, I remember. Um, I think it was about a year or so before How to Make Friends and Influence People came out. Our, um good friend of mine, um, he had he had this Kerrang tape. It was like a double tape. And like the first tape was all kind of like new stuff, like The Wild Hearts, Sepultura, Pantera. Mm. And then the second tape was like old school stuff, like fucking hell, it was like it was like Rush and Freebird and you know, Bad Hell stuff like this uh, and there, there was a television track on I'd never heard television before but my house was on there mm-hmm. on that first tape but I was just like I love this and um, my mate who's taped this, this crane tape well, he bought the album from Aldehyde I remember hearing it and just thinking yeah it's right you know my house was like by far the best song on there um, and then I remember watching Top of the Pops like early 1994 must have been I don't know sort of February time and seeing them do Oblivion. And I was like, fucking hell, that, this is a bit, this is a step up. This is like, you know, I've, I've always been a sucker for a woe or a doo-wop and, or yeah, yeahs and things like that. And um, I, I, went down, I went down Woolworths the following day, after all the following weekend, I bought like the cassette single of Oblivion, I rinsed it. And then um, a lot of the album comes out and then, uh, but I, I, I think firstly, I think part of the step up is the fact that this album, and I think regular Urban Survivors were both produced by Gil Norton, mm-hmm. like AKA the guy that did fucking Color and the Shape, mm-hmm. so like big rock albums, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and like, like the way it starts with that, did, did you know? Basically, they rip off that split end song. Is it? I got you. Yeah. Ding 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 and then you know you know Tony you know who who could literally be a fucking plumber or something they all just look so normal just like working men guy Bradford man who could happen to be in a band. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um and you know, that Alice What's the matter? Like I still remember the first time I heard it and and then it just down out and then the big chords come in and it I don't know, Tony Wright's Hall is, he's, he has, I mean, you know, nine times out of 10, his lyrics are fucking nonsense, but it really doesn't fucking matter at all, right? He sings, he's got that fucking rhythmic way that he does words. It's it's quite hard to sing along to some television songs sometimes because it's very much like, you know, it, it, it's so kind of rhythmic the way he kind of enunciates all the words and stuff. And that was a... Uh, um, something about you really picks him up like a hot cup of coffee and a hot coffee cup and it's it's fucking great and it just sounds big and like I, I think Alice What's the Matter was like the third or, third or fourth single off the album because there was like about six fucking singles off this now. this was like it's Trouble five, Guy it was, it was a they fourth mis- apparently yeah uh, fourth yeah five which is nuts yeah you know is, yeah I mean, you know I, for me, this is this is by far the best television album. Um, 
I, I know you're a massive fan of Urban Survivors. I really like regular Urban Survivors. I think it's got. Um, I think it's got the best song. I, I mean, this might be front to back the most kind of um, consistent record they've done. I yeah. think the high, the best songs of their career. Bad Actress to me is like your Bad Actress, amazing. You, you, I, you just think like I don't think I don't think television. I didn't know television were capable of writing a song like that. No. No, no, it's bad, isn't it? I mean, but I mean, there's kind of a, there's a bad there's a precursor to bad actress on here, like some people say. Mm. You know, it's a beautiful kind of dark ballad, um, and you know, just like four fucking guys from Bradford, none of them, you know, particularly good looking at all, but somehow Tony Wright ended up becoming a fucking sex symbol. Yeah, it's you know, mad, and and. It's it's bad to think you know just just regular normal working class guys from Bradford and and, and like this this album was a bit of a slow burner. I mean I don't think the album got top ten, but everyone had it. Everyone I knew had this. It was one of those albums like Trouble Gum. It kind of the indie kids had this album. The pop kids had it because there were bonafide pop hits on it. You know the Kerrang readers loved it. Um, and but it was just it was so mad like how big how fucking big they got um like a few years down the line i mean i think i alluded to it when i i guessed it on the podcast last year when we we're doing the reading special hmm. um uh, uh, how i think you know television they should have been the subbing metallica. metallica yeah yeah, yeah it's mad that's even more mad than therapy subbing metallica at donaldson 95 the fact oh. that television got that fucking big yeah. you know at that point of their career um, I mean you know they'd already disappeared over the precipice by that point because w- what was that album Shaving Peaches fucking terrible yeah but had album. that even come out at that point I think they were still touring was that before off the back of regular Urban Survivors um, because I okay. I remember oh, it would have been yeah yeah it would have been mm. 97 yeah of course yeah because yeah. I remember was it, Redding, it was 97 because yeah. 96 it was Terrorvision then Offspring and then yeah. Rage and then The Prodigy and you go, well, you're not getting above any of them, obviously. No. But genuinely, I mean, you know, I've 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 said many a time to people, I've said like, guess who had the most top 20 hits in 1996? You know, just after What's yeah. the Story, Morning Glory came out, just after the Spice Girls yeah. came out. It was Terrorvision. The Spice most Girls, top yeah. 20 you, like Terrorvision, mad. Like yeah, more hit, more top 20 hits than Oasis and the Spice Girls that year. It's fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And yeah. you know, and more than yeah. fucking Boyzone or whoever else you want to chuck it. Like, do you know what I mean? It's television. Like, yeah. it's it's absolutely, yeah. it's a, it's a uh, nutty, nutty thing that they were top of the pops. They were regulars on top of the pops. Like, it just became... Regulars, you know. Yeah. Second nature. I'm pretty sure Tony Wright presented an episode of Top of the Pops as well. He might have done, yeah. I'm pretty sure he, he presented an episode, you know. Uh, um... But, but they were but they were another one of these bands uh, in the press that they they were so omnipresent because uh, you know I, I know it sounds like old man shouting at clouds but th- this was that pre internet time when if you wanted to find out about what your favorite band were doing you had to buy Kerrang you had to buy Melody Maker NME you had to buy Metal Hammer you had to that, that's the only way to do it you know um. And they were omnipresent in Kerrang all the time, you know, for years, for a good like four, five, six years, regular mm. front covers. Um, and like, I mean, a, a, a good friend of mine, um, 
Goggle Steve, um, he does, he presents the Crank Back Issues podcast, and they're up to like mid 1996 now. And oh, what a fucking glorious time! What a glorious time! <laughs> it really was. Yeah, you're about, they're about to <laughs> lose, you're about to lose television. television. Are in every yeah. Week. yeah, and you're, uh, you're about a yeah. year away from never uh, hearing from um, them again, unfortunately. They were like, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Just there, and then, yeah, you know, the Reading thing. I think is is definitely true. You know, they they were bigger than Marilyn Manson at that time. They, yeah, were, they were like commercially certainly this country. Yeah, they were definitely bigger than Marilyn Manson. But that yeah. pendulum had swung at that point. From even I would say from when that festival lineup came out in kind of March time, it used to come out March April. You'd hear you just suddenly open yeah, Kerrang yeah. and the Reading lineup would be in there. It wasn't like you know fucking you get an email yeah. we're gonna drop the light we're gonna drop 20 new bands in three days day splits yeah. coming all that shit they used to do no no you just open a magazine oh yeah. look reading's nope. happening nope. like there's the whole lineup just there it you is. didn't know that. and yeah. even from that yeah. kind of like april 97 up until august even that little period it felt like at the, that point when it was announced it was like, oh yeah television below just one below metallica of course they're bigger than bush they're bigger than manson they're bigger than dinosaur jr they're bigger than yeah. you know descendants and whoever else or when we got round to it yeah. manson and new metal and the american thing had really started to kind of it was hitting the door hard and it's yeah. it's hard to kind of look at yeah. like He's a cunt, Marilyn Manson. There's no getting away from him. He's a fucking piece of shit. I'm not sort of like standing up for him in, in any way whatsoever. But mm. you look at that and then, like you say, you look at four blokes from yeah. Bradford and yeah. one, of whom couldn't really, one of whom couldn't really sing. Uh, no. To, the drummer to, couldn't really drum. The drummer couldn't really drum. You know, the bass player him. was just sort of <laughs> jumping around. They, you know, they were great live because they were such a laugh. They didn't sound yeah. good. Like I think Mark Yates, the guitarist, hold the, held the whole fucking band together pretty much. If yeah, I well, you say, good. See, you, you say they didn't. They didn't sound good. Well, maybe they didn't then. But I, I went to see them. When was it? Fucking hell! About twenty. I think it was twenty seventeen. It was a twentieth anniversary tour of Urban Survivors. I saw them in London at Shepherd's Bush. I think. Hmm. And they did the album in entirety. They've got a different drummer now, which obviously helps. <laughs> but and but they sounded fucking great. You know, really? they come straight out and we went straight into Enter Alter Ego. Unfortunately, because they did the album in, in full, it meant Perseverance was like fucking third song of the night. Mm-hmm. And the crowd just went batshit. And it, I, mean, it, I, I was just like... Oh, they shouldn't be doing this in order, mate. That's peaking way too early. I know, but I love that, Mugwump as an ending track. Yeah, what a banger! Yeah, what a banger! Yeah, I don't yeah, mind that. Don't shoot the handle. Yeah, don't mind that. You know, but they honestly they sounded so much better than I remember because we we're all chatting on the train down, going, "We, you know, we all saw them in the nineties as everyone did because they were fucking they played everywhere." Um. But it was like they were never kind of the tightest, but it didn't matter because it, it was just like you're one of us. Do you know what I mean? It was mm. like well, it's just such a fucking love. But they, yeah, I was genuinely surprised with how good they sounded that night. That's great. I I've only seen them yeah. once. I think they played Download in 2012 was the last time I saw them. Yeah. I would like to see yeah. them again. Great album. Yeah. Very very like I was going to say important band then. 
I don't know if important is really the word, but I think really kind of they were a universal. They're important to me. Import, yeah, I'm sure. Like, man, they were to. Like, I loved. I, yeah. I think they were a kind yeah. of. They were a really great unifying band. Yeah. I felt were. like, like you say, if you're into Britpop or metal or rock or punk or you know mm. even like that's like, people would look at Slade and they they were they were like a kind of like, this kind of fun glammy thing and yeah they were just kind of they were just so charmingly likable and they wrote great songs i mean yeah i'm looking at the track listing now for this record and that's what's the matter is mm. I, like to talk about the song itself i listened to it earlier it's fucking, yeah. it sounds great you know the riff sounds yeah. great like, like tony's got a really yeah. weirdly idiosyncratic voice oblivion yeah. is like the fucking ramones but played by the banana splits from yorkshire <laughs> yeah um <coughs> stop the bus has got a big riff discotheque wreck is amazing like great song yeah. Such a funny, fun song. Oh, Middleman is is that's what they always used to open with. Yeah, a Middleman is a genuinely yeah. great song. Um, still yeah. the rhythm, ten yeah. shades of grey, stabbing the back. That's maybe like a slight step down now, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but like you say, pretend best friend. Time pretend and best friend, man. With, with, with that with that little what is it fugal horn? Mm. You call yourself a friend. That yeah. that whole bit. Yeah, fucking it's, great. Yeah, yeah. And then what the doctor ordered, some is. people say, what makes you tick? Killer. That's a killer record. Yeah. Killer record. It is. And yeah. Really I've got, good. I've got, I've got, I mean, it's 30 years old next year. Um, I think they'll go out and do a tour. If, if, if they, if they could do a tour that I saw where it was regular urban survivors and it was like, it was sold out at Shepherd's Bush, you know, it was packed, fucking packed. I can see them going out next year doing the 30th anniversary of How to Make Friends. Well, they I'll did be, do I'll, it. I'll be well up for that. They did the 25th anniversary in 2019, I believe. So I don't know if they do a 30th. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Okay. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I would. Mm. This has mm. made me want to go see television again. Uh, and I actually, they were the, the, yeah. after going to Reading in '96, which was my first festival, it was like the second gig I'd ever been to. Mm. The next gig I went to after that mm. was actually television in Southampton supported by one of the other bands we're going to talk about in a minute so let's move on from that wonderful television right. Alice what's the matter killer we then have a, a, <laughs> yeah. a gap in time we have a gap in time and that's not to say that this music went away because <clears throat> in the time from 1994 through to the 31st of March 1997 which is the day that the album mm. um, that we're about to talk about the opening track from was released. Um, we got a lot of great records from British bands, Brit rock bands. Um, yeah. I mean, a real lot. Yep. Paranoid Sunburnt yep. by Skunk Nancy, 1977 by Ash, mm. Trouble Gum yep. by Therapy. I mean, you could even go into, you know, like uh, Joyrider. What's the name of that the first Joyrider? Um, Be Special. Be Special, uh, yeah. Be yeah. special, honey, honey crack, honey um, crack was great. Um, love reef, yourself, reef, just, replenish, and glow. Baby got, chaos, uh, yeah, love yourself, abuse by baby chaos. Yeah. Future is medium by compulsion. I think it's a really good record. Mm. A couple of China drum records that are really, really yeah. great as well. Um, yep, there yep. was, yep. there was a lot of bands coming through, like a lot, a lot of these bands kind of, um, yeah, appeared. it was week in, week out, it was week in, week out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really was. It felt like a, a really incredibly exciting time to be one of those bands. And yet, yeah. weirdly, like, I mean, it's not Brit Rock because um, this is a band, Curb Dog, 
who are from Kilkenny in Ireland. Um, and a band that you and I have spoken about. We didn't see him recently. Um, the album On The Turn came out on the 31st of so March just- of 1997. The opening song, Sally, which is also the second single, uh, mm. apparently it got to yeah. a rather depressing number 69. That's one time that the number 69 is not cool because this has got fucking yeah. number one single, <laughs> like play it in stadiums across the world written all over it. And yeah. weirdly, yeah. not enough yeah. people know it. Um, but fuck me, man. I mean, look, I've spoken about Curb Dog a lot over the years. I'm going to let you do that now, Gaz, because mm. I feel like you've been waiting a long time to do this in a podcast format. Yeah. Oh, yeah, basically, I've got bored of someone, to, um, you know, picking picking Curb Dog. You let me down, mate. That's the only bad thing about when you were a guest. I was just like, oh, he did big fucking Curb Dog. I was banking on that. Ah, <laughs> you know what? If you'd have given me the heads up, hey, I would have just done it. Cherry, so yeah, well, to be yeah. fair, I could have picked it. But I, mean, I just, I, I think I tried to pick stuff that I maybe hadn't spoken about as well. Because I was like, I bore yeah, people. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's I, fair. I bore people with this band, man. I really do. Not here. Not here. No. I, I've bought. I, I, th- I think I've bored a lot of people. Slashed, introduced a lot of people to this band over the years. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I first became aware of Curb Dog. Like, we'll take you way back here to about. I think it was like early, early mid '94. Um, so obviously, still living at home. Um, Mum and Dad. Like, I, I was always hassling Dad to. To, oh, why don't we get a Sky TV, Dad? I'd love to get a Sky because I wanted MTV and stuff. Mm. Um, and my dad refused point blank to get a satellite dish on the side of the house. He was like, I'm not having one of those bloody dishes. Fine. So basically, my, my, my access to kind of rock music on the telly uh, was pretty fucking limited to like the rock chart on the chart show, which we spoke about earlier. Um, and the only other thing w- w- was this weird little program on about half three in the morning on ITV presented by uh, Crusher and Anne Kirk. Mm. Fuck knows where I remember that name from. Um, but it was Noisy Mothers, mm. which was incredibly, incredibly important to me. Um, I got into so, it introduced me to so much incredible rock music and metal music. Uh, but I remember one particular episode where there was, I think it was the video to Dummy Crusher, um, the only top 40 smash, as, as I think as it <laughs> yeah. called that said in the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dizzy Hearts number 39 or something. Uh, but there was an interview with, with Cormac and, and I think it was Dara, um, the drummer. And I was just like, I just remember hearing the song uh, and I, I'd, I'd got into therapy and stuff by this point. I was aware of Helmet. And kind of you know metallic and black album. So I was, I, you know, I, I was starting to gravitate more to more kind of sort of riffy stuff. And uh, I was just like, "Fuck, who is this band? Who is this band?" And I, I remember the album um, coming out, the debut, the self-titled debut. Uh, got a bit of press, um, got decent reviews in Kerrang and stuff, and Metal Hammer, and um, you know, and then then they just disappeared. And again, you know. When you when you were searching for like bands like say Curb Dog and Kerrang and stuff and they, what they weren't in there, I I used to automatically assume that okay they split up or that's it done and then it was like fucking three years three fucking years and all of a sudden 
oh, Curb Dog are back and they're gigging and, you know, they're doing like a fucking 50-date UK tour and stuff like this of toilet venues. And um, and then I, I remember hearing, um, what was the first single? Was it Mexico, Mexican Wave? It was It was actually, so no, JJ's, JJ's song in 96 song. was yeah. the first single. 96, yeah, that's actually, what I would have heard. Sally, um, according to, I'm just going on Wikipedia here, apparently came out on the 30th yeah. of September, 96. And then there's a big old gap oh, until okay. the end of March, wow. until On The Turn comes out, yeah. which again is a weird yeah. thing to do. So just release two singles. Yeah, I know people weird. do it now, no. but they, they didn't used to then, did they? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. So and, uh, I, I remember being so excited because I think um, uh, Severed was on a, a Radio Kerrang CD. It was. And I think On The Turn, the title track was on a, a Kerrang cassette was it a supersonic? It was like a free, a free tape they gave away in Kerrang. And it was On The Turn was on that, the title track. And I was so excited. I, know, I, I remember the review getting 3Ks hmm. and fucking outrageous. Outrageous. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I remember trying to get hold of the album and you couldn't fucking find it anywhere no one stocked it no one could even get it in i remember trying to order it from our price and i got a phone call like about a month later going yeah sorry we can't we can't get hold of it for you there's no copies anywhere and uh, and then that that was it you know a few months later i'll cut you know cub dog a split and then you know cormac goes on to form to form wilts uh, I ne- I never got to see Curb Dog in that initial run. Um, very yeah. few people knew about them, or so I thought, because as obviously the years progressed, and it's one of those kind of rare times where social media is actually like a good thing. You know, there's a lot of Curb Dog fans out there, man. Like si- Simon Neal from Biffy, man, always used to go on about Curb mm. Dog in interviews. Frank Turner, Jamie Lemon, all these people like. On the turn made me want to be in a fucking band and stuff, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it seemed like as, as kind of years progressed, um, obviously Wilt kind of came and went, did two really good albums, but again, probably I think sold even less than Curb Dog. Yeah. Um, but it, it seemed like, like as years kind of went by and stuff, like p- people were like re- like discovering this this album called On the Turn through, through file sharing, because there was no Spotify then, obviously, you know, through Napster and things like that they were finding out about the, you know this music and I, honestly I'm a, you know this this album is like you know it's a straight it's a straight 10 out of 10 I think it's an absolute fucking lost classic it is the ultimate of lost classics it mm. should have been it should have been huge it's like like Cormac says in the liner notes man it was the right album at the wrong time and it, it yeah. really was. I mean, it's yeah. such a, like, it's so amazing when you think about, when I think about this record, like, uh, there's, there's a, almost, like, the story is so cool because of the fact that they've come back and there are yeah. people who, yeah. like, it's a small yeah. but kind of hardy group of people who yeah. feel this way about this album. I mean, so from my end, I knew the name, but I'd never heard a note, never saw the debut yeah. album in the, you know shops or anything ever right didn't know anything about them uh never never heard them before um saw a review of them supporting biohazard 
of all fucking bands in uh, in Melbourne. <laughs> so they supported Biohazard, nice. and they also supported Ministry as well. I remember like around just before this album came out. Yeah. So it was odd because obviously you know you listen to the first album, and yeah, there's kind of nods to Helmet and Quicksand, and you know those kind of bands are definitely there, yeah. and that makes a bit of sense. But still, you're putting like a kind of floppy fringed, like specky Irish guy who's very fun loving and is wearing a kind of Hawaiian shirt up with Biohazard fans. Like, it's just never going to work out. Yeah. So, you sort of think, you know, no. you're releasing two singles from this album six months before you release the album and then just letting it drop off the face of the earth. Now, I had. I used to wash dishes in the local old people's home. It was my first ever job. £3.15 an hour I used to get for like washing nice. dishes for like a few hours. Just do that a couple of nights every week. And then at the end of the month, I'd get paid. And every time I got paid, um, it was my first job, I would go to HMV with my 70 quid or whatever that was going to last and just spunk mm. it all on CDs, right? Uh, or half <laughs> of it on CDs. And then, and so one, I think it was like we were on half term and this is back in the days when albums were released on a monday right rather than on friday yeah. like that you know albums yeah. used to be released on a monday and i had a bit of money half term first day half term i'm gonna buy a couple of cds just go in right i don't know what i'm gonna get and it's sort of idea oh i'd like to get you know this or that walked into hmv in basingstoke my local hmv flicking through the the thing one stack curb dog on the turn right six copies of it sitting there 5.99 didn't get CDs for five ninety nine back then, did wow. you, Gas? You oh, and yeah. you and I remember the Luke. fucking thirteen ninety nine, fourteen yep. ninety nine. You remember getting fucking more than that, mate. Twenty ninety nine, twenty pound ninety nine pence for the first Seven Dust album on import from Virgin Megastore. Come on, what am I? My this is the fucking no, yeah. I'm not mate. I'm I'm on yeah. three pound fifteen an hour washing dishes in an old people's yeah. home. You're going to try and take that off me, you bastards. <laughs> Screwjacket of Scream cost me 18 quid. It's <laughs> fucking half an hour album. Do you know what I mean? Jesus. <laughs> Worth every penny, but fine. Um, yeah. yeah, as it turned out, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, you know, I'd heard Severed on a Kerrang CD. I'd also do a Pledge, was on a Metal Hammer CD as well. And I was like, those two songs are cool. Yeah. I'm going to get this, 5 99 Why wouldn't you? Could be a bargain. Could be a waste of money. Whatever. Could be a bargain. Um, and I got it back home and I put the first song on, obviously Sally, put it in, put the first song on Sally and I was just fucking blown away. Blown away. And I'd got my mate who I'd gone to town, yeah. into town with, my mate Jimmy. Yeah. Um, we both were like, put that song on again. And we, li- we must listen to Sally like five fucking times in the first thing. And then we started listening to the rest of the album. We were like, this album's amazing. It's fucking great. And I yeah. made the... Yeah ridiculous mistake of going to he was like can I borrow this and just take it home and tape it and then I'll give it back to you and I was like yeah yeah cool gave it to him and he gave it to someone else who gave it to someone else who gave it to, so I was trying to track this fucking album down so I got it on the day listened to it was like I love it then it was taken away from me for like two weeks I had to go and track it down when I got back scratch on the CD <laughs> Sally ruined so I'm like oh fuck I have to go and find it again now couldn't find it anywhere no. the worst so for years no nope. all i had nope. was this scratched this this like amazing album which i loved and everything else on it was fine but i couldn't listen to sally because it was scratch furious i could have killed him could have mm. fucking killed him because it's it's just such a great song and then years later again like you know we went to curb the other week my mate sam not i did a podcast with another mate he's 
basically we're only mates through curb dog really because he was one of my ex-girlfriend's <laughs> friends husbands right and we were like chatting about music you know you sort of chat to people yeah. and you're like oh i like guitar music yeah, yeah, yeah. i like metallica oh yeah me too i like metallica yeah and then he went oh there's one band that i really love but you probably haven't heard of them i went oh yeah i go and try me and he went curb dog and i went no and then i went on the turn and he was like no and <gasps> then we became like right. fucking best buds because he absolutely loves them so nice. it's such a it, you know it's mm. it's just a it's a, a brilliant album i can't I can't talk about it anymore because yeah. anyone who listens to me normally is like, this guy is going on about this fucking band at Nine <laughs> again. But mate, you're quite right. It's just a brilliant album. I'm so glad that they now can come yeah. to London and play a sold out yeah. show in front of like a few hundred I mean, people like, who I generally, love them. I generally, I, yeah, I generally thought my chance had gone of seeing them. And I was like, well, okay, fine. I've, you know, I saw Wilt a bunch of times. Okay, I'll, you know, I'll take that. Um, the rare times they were doing gigs, it was, it was, you know, over the pond. Fair enough, man. Um, but you know, as soon as tickets were announced, uh, or there was these rumours on, there's quite an active Curb Dog um, Facebook page that the band members are on a lot and stuff, and there was all these rumours flying around that oh, there might be some UK dates. 25th anniversary of On The Turn and blah, blah, blah. And as soon as the London dates were 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 announced, I was just like, take my fucking money, man. I can't believe this is happening. And even on the day, you know, I woke up um, and I was, I was, even on the day, even on the train down, I still didn't quite believe. Even when I saw you, I still couldn't quite believe. Even when I saw Young Simon Young, I still couldn't. You know, I'm my, I'm my my mate who came up with him from um, from Hastings. I still couldn't quite believe that we were going to see Curb Dog that night. Even when I was in the fucking venue, you know, paying nine quid for a fucking pint of Guinness, <laughs> I still couldn't. Two pints of Guinness. I appreciate that, mate. Thank you. He puts his hand in his yeah, pocket. Yeah, this guy, yeah, yeah. Nice. Shout out to Gaz for getting me a very expensive drink. <laughs> I'm not used to fucking London prices, you know. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we we were talking about like like steps up, like like a band stepping up to the plate in regards to their follow up album with Terrorvision. But I, I think the step up from Curb Dog self titled debut, which is it's decent, it's a it's a decent debut album, man. There's some fucking there's some amazing riffs on there. Mm. But that's all it is. It's it's a riff album. It's just a riff. It's just kids messing about with riffs and drop D tuning. There is genuine. There is genuine craft, I think, to songs on On The Turn. Sally especially, man. There is genuine craft in that song. The way it kind of weaves and moves through all these different kind of movements and way that when that first chorus kicks in, you know, got it wrong, Sally as well. And it, it's, it, it's so big. It literally could topple, could topple buildings. And, it, I, and I'm, I always talk about bands disappearing you know, through the cracks because it was such a, by 1997, the market was so crowded. A hundred amazing bands slipped through the cracks, you know, Hello Joyrider, Hello, especially Silver Sun. But the biggest one was, was, was on the turn. Yeah. And it's, it was, but it's, it's so wonderful to, I still get a kick now out of introducing people to this album. They're like, oh no, no, never heard it. You know, um, or, you know, and, I, and they come back to me going, this is incredible. How was this band not massive? I'm like, I know, man. I know. It is, I think, 
this is the summation of because Curb Dog look like in '97 they looked like Nirvana. There are a few bands, you know, you got your Silver Chairs and your Radishes and bands like that who are no, you know are nowhere near <laughs> as good. But just on an aesthetic level alone, yeah. it would have been enough. I think four or five years before to get Curb's Dog over the line, whether even if even if their yeah. songs weren't that great, to just kind of look a bit like Nirvana, it would have been enough to get them over the line. By 1997, yeah. when this record comes out, new metals in like it has a stranglehold. You know, this is the yeah. this is the cold chamber, fucking yeah. spine shank human waste project. This is <laughs> this is that era where that stuff has like. Yeah. risen from something which looked like it was going to be really cool and it's now starting to get a bit dull but you just couldn't get away from it you just couldn't seem to escape it huh? it's inescapable even though there yeah. were a few bands yeah, fighting true. the fight and I think Curb Dog paid the price for on the turn coming out when it came out if it come out 80 months earlier we might have been having a completely different yeah. conversation well, I know it was recorded like best part of two years before mm. it actually came out. I think, or at least eighteen months beforehand. Um, and, and, I mean, like Cormac said, and many times, I think he said it with when you interviewed him a couple of years ago. Like we did that kind of lockdown interview with him. Yeah, around the time of the reissues and stuff. You know, they they just didn't have kind of enough kind of get up and go. This couldn't be asked. You know. Um, Imagine that. Imagine this is what you come up with when you're not even trying. Yeah, he's cut, you're not exactly. Unbelievable. Fucking ridiculous. It's ridiculous, you know. And what was so, I mean, I mean, the whole night of seeing him a couple of months ago when we did was, I mean, it was just surreal as fuck. It was so fucking surreal. But like, sit, meeting Cormac briefly, um, uh, we went to like the Lexington afterwards um god knows why i fucking hate the lexington <laughs> but what are you gonna do it was all the way back to king's cross i fucking hate it in there especially on a weekend oh horrible um but cormac was in there you know and it was i just i just wanted to shake his hands you know i, I was i just want to say you know cormac thank you for kind of thanks for the riffs man thank you so much for kind of just being ever present in my life you know and he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it a lot of the time as well. No, he doesn't. He fucking doesn't. He still can't quite get a handle on the fact that people, you know, they're bigger now than they were then, which is yeah. weird. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, so again, you know, I, I, I was on Team Rock Radio and I was like, oh, Sonosphere 2014, when they were playing, I was like, I need, need to talk to Cormac Battle from Curb Dog. I love them. Yeah. He turned up with his PR, and you could see he had a little bit of, you know, a day of press with people just being like, "Who are you?" sort of thing. Yeah. And I went in on him. I was like, "This is the fucking second coming." Da-da. And he was like, "Are you taking?" And he was probably, like, "Are you taking the piss out of me?" And I was like, "No." And he and we eventually was like, "Come and stand." He was me and my mate Sammy. You met with the gig was there, and I was like, "Sam, who wanted to make you?" play drums he's like oh Dara on on the turn and he was like and he was like no no I don't believe this and he made us come and stand by the side of the stage when they played Sonosphere so that he could see <laughs> if we knew the words to the songs or not and we yeah, were yeah. going mental and he was Brilliant. like he really do yeah. like us and I was like yeah oh yeah yeah mate yeah. this is this is the real deal um yeah it's a shame but like in a lot of ways it's almost Mad. it's kind of cool it's kind of more interesting than if they'd have just become like Foo Fighters yeah no it is yeah 
So. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's I have a lot of secret bands, but this is my kind of most secret of secret bands. Mm. It's a secret little club that very few people are, are aware of, and I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. Great record. So yeah, Cab Dog. One of the bands who looked like that, that it, you know, that came along and maybe looked like they could wrestle something away from the new metal bands is your mm. next pick, um, mm. which is the title track and the opening track of Pure by Three Colors Red, mm. debut Three Colors Red album. 12th of May, 1997. You got it on tape there as well. How much? <laughs> Still got the OG that's cassette. Fucking, that's a 199. Bargain. 199. That's bargain as a... Yeah. Mm. Now, Three Colors Red, Gaz. Um, yes. The, I would say kind of the polar opposite of Curb Dog in a lot of ways. Not in terms of the quality of the music yeah. because, again, this album is spectacular. Uh, lead yeah. review in Metal Hammer, I remember it getting the full five like whatever yeah. they were, like lightning bolts I think they were doing at the time um, yeah. I think it got five, I think they get five in Kerrang I think it might have done as well and I think it did yeah yeah. and I felt like this was one of those albums that we all were waiting on with bated breath because yeah, you know obviously yep. for ages there's that connection with the Wild Hearts with Chris McCormack yep. and they signed to Creation Records and Alan McGee mm. said they're going to be as big as Oasis. They might be better than Oasis. And then yeah. you had um, This Is My Hollywood and Nuclear Holiday yeah. and 60 Mile yeah. Smile coming out as singles mm. before the album. And yeah. it was like, fuck me, this band, uh, every yeah. single got a bit better. I remember seeing them on the second stage at Reading in 1996. Mm. They played kind of very kind of early on in the day because they only had a kind of handful of singles that they released at that point and they were great they were fucking great and those songs first time you heard them you went i'm in um pure as an opening track it's such a mm. wicked way to open a record right yeah yeah with that harmonized feedback mm. it's uh it it still gives me that absolute giddy rush. Even now, I don't know how many hundreds of times, thousands maybe that I've listened to this album. Because this is another one that was, you know, it was twenty five years old last year, um, and that kind of that that baseline, um, that kind of distorted like fucking Gibson Explorer fat bass sounds, and like when those drums kick in, um, you know, Keith Baxter, man, R.I.P., fucking great drummer. Um, and when it all comes kind of clattering in at the same time, they're, when the one thing in your life goes crashing, it's it just straight in, um, you know, and there were that kind of am amalgamation of like, like the Wild Hearts, you know, bit of, you know, Sex Pistols, um, but pop songs, they were all played with like a curled lip and there was obviously massive kind of punk influences and stuff, but Pete Vukovic kind of, I don't know, kind of harnessed that kind of punk rock fury that Christmas Cormac had 
and he, he kind of put these amazing kind of hooks and melodies over the top of them um, and like you were saying like I was waiting for this album for fucking time I remember like buying all their singles because yeah, that, yeah. that was that wonderful era of like where, where it would always be like a double CD set there'd yeah. always be two CDs for each single and you always got live tracks so like you know as it turned out I kind of uh, I'd heard like over half the album by the time the fucking album come out because you know because of the fucking live B size and shit like a live version and of Nerve Gas on the 60 My Smile single is fucking oh, fucking top so first good. time I heard that version I was like this yeah. is a tune this is an absolute yeah. tune yeah yeah it's just it's just it, it's just that perfect kind of amalgam of, of like I don't know Steve Jones riffing with like Almost, almost Lennon and McCartney-esque kind of melodies over the top, I guess. Might be a bit hyperbole, but... Well, I, I but was going to say... I think say, that's what they're aiming for. I was going to say, actually, they they got a bit of the Lennon and McCartney... Like, I know, again, look, steady on. They only released a couple of albums. <laughs> uh, like, this is, a, this is a very, very good debut album. I'm not comparing this to yeah. the entire Beatles back catalogue. But there is a touch of the Lennon and McCartney about... Vukovich and McCormack together I think I think they're genuine yeah definitely is. That, that, that kind of that, that friction the, mm. the push and pull you yeah know. and loads of you know whether it's yeah. um, Steph Carpenter and Gina Moreno in Deftones yeah. or uh, I mean oh fuck me we could go on forever with the, the sort of like push and pull of, of people in bands that make that shit work yeah. you know the Afros versus the, the kind of the hardcore kids in At The Driving or whatever yeah. I think they had that thing where Pete Vukovic was a sensitive guy who wanted to yeah. write kind of Nick Drake-esque, like mm. English English sort of folksy pop songs. And Chris McCormack yeah. wanted to be in Rose Tattoo. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, good shout. He did. And, and, and did. those two things coalesce into, I think, an absolutely brilliant record it's got the fury yeah. of punk rock and it's got yeah. like a song like copper girl is yeah i mean it's so brilliant and it's mad to think you know some of them yeah. that you think would be the the pete vukovic songs like all right ma um yeah or the songs that you think would be the mccormack songs like halfway up the downs that's your vukovic yeah. song and so I yeah, don't, it's, yeah, it's yeah. maybe not quite as straightforward as, you know, that thing where we go, oh, Lennon brought the kind of McCartney was all the like bubblegummy stuff and Lennon did. Yeah. Actually, it's not quite true. And I don't think it's quite true here, th- but they needed each other to, for it to really work. And this album really works because of that, I think. Yeah, I th- definitely. I, I, I think in regards to that kind of push-pull kind of comparison with the Beatles and stuff, that certainly came more to the fore in the second album with like obviously the two the two singles that were picked were, were the two big ballads. Obviously Beautiful Day, which was like, you know, obviously the biggest hit they ever had, um, and This Is My Time, both written by Vukovic. And I think that really fucked Chris McCormack off. You know, the right was on the wall by the time Beautiful Day nearly became a top ten hit. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um and I mean you know, I generally thought that um, like I remember the first time I heard Beautiful Day um, I was just like fuck it oh man this band are gonna, they're going to be huge now and literally within six months like they did they played their last gig at 
headlining the second stage at Reading, mm. Reading and Leeds, and that was it done, you know. And and and, and again, they were another one that Kerrang fucking like Kerrang pushed three colours red hard, man. As did Metal Hammer, you know. They mm. both did big time regular regular front covers. Uh, they and again, you know, bona fide pop hits. I remember doing you know sixty miles smile on on top of the pops. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was. I remember like summer of '99, going to see Aerosmith at Wembley Stadium. A fucking three colours red opened the gig, you know. Yeah, that's a good day. It was. That was um, Lenny Kravitz, Stereophonics, and the Black Crows, I believe, as well. Yeah, and three colours red. Yeah, that that whole lineup is so '1999. I know. You know, know, (laughs) Stereophonics of like you know, around a time of like you know that back, but back when you know. They they were they were actually good then. I'm not gonna you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll die on that hill and so that first aerophonic sound was still fucking great. It just oh. went badly downhill after that. But I, I, I got I got a bit of time for performing cocktails. I've got a bit of time for that. I, I, yeah, bartender and a thief man and just looking and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know there was some good you know uh, they were great that day. You know I mean I mean but it was just weird like getting into like. Wembley, the old Wembley Stadium, you know, like baking hot summer's day. Like, I think it was like June or July, nineteen ninety nine, and see the three colours red opening the fucking stage. You mm. know, literally about a month before they were going to split. You know, mm. um, I mean they reformed a few years later. Um, um, I, I went to the the reunion show. They did, um, I think they did two nights at the Barfly in Camden in summer of two thousand and four. It was around the time of around the time of the Euros. I remember. England were playing that weekend. So I can't remember who Bonner they were playing, um, and it was it was and it was wonderful. It, it it seemed like there was that kind of feeling of like unfinished business. Um, and they did they did one album, but Vukovic and McCormack did just. I think I think even now I don't think you could put them in a room together. I think they, even now, twenty years after they split again for the second time, they're still fucking, just, you know, hate each other. I mean, I've got. I've got Ben Hard. I've managed to get Ben Harding confirmed as oh. like he was like the original Three Colors Red rhythm guitarist. Yeah, um, I've got him confirmed for the pods, uh, and I did ask it. I sort of did like approach the fact, you know, would you be okay if we spoke about Three Colors Red? Because obviously he was in Census Things, and Census Things mm. were like a hugely important band to me mm-hmm. um, when I was at college and stuff. You know, Census Things and Meg City Four and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I've got a lot of questions about about three colours red and I, and I said yeah, if, you don't, if you don't talk about it that's good but he was like yeah man I've got no issues because I, I want to know you know because I'm I want to know what happened with Pete why isn't he fucking making music anymore because I remember he formed the band after three colours red called Bass Knives who released like one EP on Mighty Atom Records it was really fucking good it was it had gone back to this sort of sound of three yeah. colours red you kind of pure era and that was it he literally disappeared yeah, he went Nothing. solo in the, the first split. He went solo, didn't he? Did yeah. He and he, really... well, he formed a band as well called Elevation, which yeah. wasn't great. No. But... Yeah, it's another one of those things where, I mean, I guess, what would you call it? Musical differences, personal differences, whatever. Um, yeah. It could have been a thing. It definitely could have been a thing. Let's say Beautiful Day was yeah. massive. I mean, the, the gig for me for Three Colours Red would always be that Metallica day at Reading, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they were, were fucking, fucking brilliant. And they yeah. came out brilliant. like after the Descendants, yeah. I, I believe, in between Descendants yeah. and yeah. I think Dinosaur Junior. And, you know, we'd already had um, Radish and Dog Eat Dog and 
uh, someone who we were about to talk about and you were about to get like Terravision and Manson and Bush and Metallica. And I remember Pete Vukovic coming out and just going, so they finally given Reading back to the Rockers. And all these people just go like, ah! Yeah. And it was such a like, fuck yeah moment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then they went straight into sunny in England. Yeah. And you're yeah. just like, this is the shit. Yeah. Like, this is the shit. Like, I'm yeah. 17. I'm stood in the field. I'm going to watch Metallica in a few yeah. hours. I've had a few beers. Yeah. Illegally. Um, obviously. But like, and I'm with all my mates <laughs> and this fucking boisterous yeah. sort of football chant banger is being played by this band who I think are fucking great. And it yeah. was the sun's yeah. out. It was just awesome, man. They were so good. What a shame. Yeah. What a shame. It, but, it, was, a real, it was a real shame. But I, I think bands like, like this aren't built to last. They're just not. They just kind of burn brightly. And But the, like I said at the start, man, I still regularly listen to all of these albums that I'm talking about this evening. You mm. know, on a pretty fucking regular basis and um because i i know i think it was last year um is it demon demon records uh did a like a, a re-release of both three colors reds album on vinyl they've both got a re-release um they uh, i think jason arnott gave them both like nine out of ten in classic rock it was it was really nice seeing seeing like the the, the go-to brit rock review guy from Korea <laughs> yeah. back in the day like yeah. still kind of like yeah Good lad, good lad. Yeah, it was, it was really nice to see. Yeah, I was sort of reading the review. And I was like, oh, I was like, who's written this? Jason Arnott, fucking amazing. Yeah, classic. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. I might try and pick that up. Anyway, yeah, Three Colors Red, yeah. a band. So you know, you've got a band who kind of made it and sort of broke, and then new metal comes along. You got a band who never got the chance because of new metal. You've got a band who probably could have had a chance, but blew it because of themselves. And we move on to a band who. I think ultimately you could say when you're talking about the biggest success stories of Brit Rock, <laughs> the biggest bands, yep. um, yeah. seems kind of mad to say it now because it took yep. them a little while. Feeder, mm. uh, Polythene, the debut album from the Welsh trio Feeder. He's got it on tape again. <laughs> you got them all on tape. Again, an album I bought a day it came out, 9th of May, 1997. Yeah. I was there because yeah. um, Swim, the EP that came out, in yeah. 96 is oh. fucking banging um yep it felt like maybe people weren't quite gonna get feeder because they'd been around a little while and yeah. you know they were peers with like the bands we've been talking about skunk and Nancy, and you know and they all, all those bands got signed and had albums out and it took feeder a little bit longer um yeah you know the the uk's answer to smashing pumpkins how many fucking times did you read that around this time <laughs> Well, it, that's what got me kind of interested. Was seeing that, seeing Not that wrong. in a live review of, I think it was a Kerrang package tour. I think it was maybe them and like I don't know, fucking Radish or something. I'm, I'm trying to remember who was on it now. It was. I can tell you this. It was yeah. A Feeder, yeah. and I think it was Vitro. Do you remember Vitro? They were like electric. Oh fuck yeah! Or was it Manbreak? Yeah. Hold on. Older. or Catherine okay oh god no I don't know it's basically <laughs> yeah. it's basically You're just naming bands now it's ba it, I, I think it was A Feeder I think Catherine it might be Manbreak I know I okay. know A and Man. I think actually I don't think Feeder played that I do think Feeder and A yeah. did a tour together and there was someone else I think it might have been Catherine Will and then A did a tour yeah. with Manbreak and then they did another one with Vitro um, 
Yeah, there was. Um, there was a bunch of them, weren't there? There, there was, but I, again, I, I heard, I heard a feeder song on a free tape given away with Kerrang. It might be the same one that Curb Dog were on, I think, but it was a track off Swim. I think it was Shade. Mm. Like the penultimate track off Swim, just I was just like, yeah, this sounds like Smashing Pumpkins, especially the way Grant was singing back then. That kind, um, I don't know how would you describe it. That kind of ethereal it was like, you know, it, breathy. It was that. It was yeah, breathy. That kind of super heavy, fucking overdriven wall of guitars, but this kind of like dream, dreamy kind of whispery vocal on top and I was just like right I'm in and then because I, I for a long time I um, I, I was just like they can't be English they can't be fucking hell they, they sound so American hmm. um, but they're not I, they're, I remember, they're not English to be fair to them well no they, you know they're, they're different you know boys from like the that. valley mate yeah. you know they're, they're from Mayans fam is it <laughs> well yeah is it yeah is it yeah um, yeah um, uh, my that side of the family from Abergavenny oh, right. in Gwent. So, uh, yeah, um, you know, name, name like Gareth Jones. What are you going to do? I, I did. Do you know I, mean? I did wonder. I did wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but like again, it was like yeah, you know, feeder man. It was that. This doesn't happen with bands anymore. That. They own, you know, Feeder Feeder finally got massive on what their fourth album, you know. I mean, I mean Echo Park. I mean, third album proper. I get, you know, I class Swim as an album, so it was okay. technically their fourth album. Yeah, technically their fourth album. Um, you know, that kind of slow builds. You know, touring with everyone every year at Reading that I saw, I saw them at like four consecutive Reading's. Every year they were slightly higher at the build. Then they got on the main stage. Then it was mid afternoon on the main stage, you know, and then uh, uh, the, uh, the crowd getting bigger. And each each time they released a single, it got a bit higher in the charts and and stuff like this. And um, and let's not forget, nineteen ninety seven. This was Metal Hammer's album of the year. Love that. Put that shit. in your fucking pipe and smoke it. I love that. I shit. fucking love that. I love that. I fucking love that. And you know what? I mean, I love it because it's not the worst shout in the world to make this album of the year. No. Um, what I also it's, love it's, is it's, it's straight up, it's straight up between this and Entombed, really. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's the two best albums that year. Aren't there's it? a lot of good shit out that year. To be fair, yeah, um, was, it was a mental year. But I love the fact that this, this beat them all. This beat them all. It did, and. The, the thing is as well is that every time some twat on the internet says to me I remember when Metal Hammer had proper metal bands and I'm like what like Feeder yeah like when Feeder are album of the year <laughs> instead of Gajira, you'd rather that than Gajira would you mate love love that yeah. Um, so yeah. it's given me you know that little barb to throw back at people for 25 years but it's just a, I think this is a I think this is out of everything you've picked Maybe yeah. actually no. This this and Curb Dog are the two where you go. You can't argue with this. This is aged brilliantly. No, like th- yeah. this. This I still could think, be released today by like Teenage yeah. Wrist or something, and they and people would go, "It's amazing." Yeah, or nothing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. What an album. I mean, it's still by it's still like by some distance the best feeder album. I think it's I think it's their kind of. It's the only time they've done like a, a complete album. I think with not a. 
there's not a duffer on it, I don't think. I mean, I mean this is the original version. The, 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 it got re-released a year after this when High yeah. High was their first mm-hmm. top 40 hit, obviously. Uh, and they, they took off Waterfall off this, which I really like Waterfall. Mm. Waterfall was a decent song. It's like sort of a heavy one. Um, but like in terms of, like, like, I mean, obviously the first track is Polythene Girl. Um, and I, I remember like, like putting it on because I'd heard... Um, I heard Stereo World. I mean, fucking hell, Stereo World. My God. Tangerine was a single. I remember it's, it's hearing that and it's like, fuck me, just riff. Um, I, I think I'd heard Cement. That was another single before the album. Yeah. But, you know, Polythene Girl kind of kicks in with that. That, I, I mean, it's it, it's so fucking Billy Corgan. There's, you know run it up the mast you know um, show your influences off kind of front and centre um, but f- Feeder for me it was the way that the three original guys kind of linked in I mean John you know I I, I can't not talk about this album and not talk about John Lee's drumming uh, John Lee John Lee was a fucking phenomenal drummer yeah he's great um, and he, he had he had that kind of I don't know. He he just had a feel, and he did that pocket, that groove that he had. That obviously Feeder never had again, obviously, um, for obviously the reasons we all know. But um, that that kind of groove that he he had just kind of elevated these songs up even more. And I mean, Grant Nicholas has always been an amazing songwriter, regardless of what you thought. Of the the you know the stuff that the material he was putting out and say the mid noughties when they were kind of sort of going full Coldplay you know no, there's no denying that you know he can fuck fuck me he can write a chorus he oh, can write yeah. a song man yeah you put um, Feed His Greatest Hits on and yeah you fuck you me. know it every song yep yeah every song you know um and but there's just something so I don't know so there's something so kind of pure and there's something almost like innocent about about this album there's something just so kind of i don't know f- f- maybe that's why feeder sort of never come close to kind of like repeating this album in, in my eyes again I mean, they've come close the, the last couple of albums they've finally gone back to the, to the well in regards to like bringing the heavy riffs back and stuff which i which i've been so happy about there's been yeah, some, been some really good songs on the last couple of albums mm. but there's just something i don't know just kind of so something so, so youthful and innocent about this album that they, they, they go on to kind of perfect those massive pop hooks further down the line with like say insomnia and you know buck rogers and come back around and stuff but i don't think they ever sounded as great as they as they as they did on this album like you genuinely think it's an absolute 90s classic totally agree totally agree it's the best yeah. it's the best it's yeah. it's the uh, the irony is is that feeder took so long getting signed and being overlooked and because weirdly yeah. You know, a lot of the other bands that we've spoken about, I mean, maybe not Curb Dog, but, you know, certainly Three Cars Red and Terrorvision, um, mm. their influences were, felt much more kind of British, whereas yep. Feeders, and you could kind of argue, I guess, that even with, you know, Curb Dog, the, that they were maybe influenced by Therapy, who, you know, were kind of quite close to them and stuff, I think, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. 
True. So you could go like, well, actually, in considering like grunge was so big and American alternative rock was so big, this is the first time you really get into something where you go, well, okay, this is actually quite an American-y sounding thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Massively it's so. weird that, that it took people so long to, to go, well, maybe we should sign that band who we can say send over to K-Rock and put on tour with Everclear. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it seems yeah. really fucking obvious yeah. to me. Yeah. And yet it didn't happen initially. It didn't happen immediately. And this record came out and, no. you know, it wasn't, and then and a big initial smash. I mean, you know, like I say, came out in May, re-released on the 20th of October 1997 to include High. High is a great song. Like, don't get me wrong. High is a great song. Yeah. Feels oh, a bit wonderful. weird in between Cement and Crash to me. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't need that. Tag it on the end. Like fucking back to school, mini maggot. Like, tag it on the end. Don't put it at the start. Yeah, don't so fucking I mean. ruin the flow of the album as it was. Because like no, I, said, I think yeah. it was great yeah. before. Um, but, you know, it didn't happen for them kind of it wasn't like it came out and everyone went oh my god this album's incredible yeah. blah 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 you know and no, then they were shot up to so. you know even playing this story i mean the first time i saw feed a headline because i'd seen them supporting television that television show i was talking about and that's when i was like this band are really good i want to get swim i think um woman in town was on a metal hammer cd um nice back in the day as well and that's a fucking tune and so I was yeah. like dead excited Riff. about this. And then I got tickets to see them. They played the Reading Alley Cat. Mm. Um, about a month and a bit before the Reading Festival, maybe like six weeks before the Reading Festival. And I went down, you know, in, which holds about 350 people, maybe 400 people. Mm. It's not big. It's not big at all. And they set up their own equipment and stuff. And they still were like, you know, they were a little band and they were fucking brilliant. And I've got to say, John Lee, like on the, the thing of, you know, mentioning John Lee, um, when you're 17, and this is the thing, like we were saying before, you connect so, you feel like you connect so tightly with these bands. And it's how you feel yeah. like it, you know, actually you do, because here's me and you, we've been talking for an hour and a half about albums that not, are not generally by the great the greater public not really considered classic quote-unquote albums mm. by the majority yeah. of people we've not been talking about what's the story morning glory or urban hymns or no. you know okay mm. computer or anything like that we've been talking about stuff that is you know popular but a little bit more niche and here we are talking about mm. it for this long and getting so excited about it so you do make that connection with that music and yeah. it does stay, stick with you i went to glastonbury in 1997 Dub War were playing on the other stage. Went to see Dub War, yeah. and I was like, "That guy um, on drums, I recognise him." And it was John Lee playing drums for Dub War. Yeah. Right? So we went nice. to the feeder show. They were fucking great, you know. Basically, played this album and a couple of songs from uh, from Swim. That was a set. It was brilliant. As we were walking out, John Lee was signing autographs. Like he li literally, I was on the barrier. They went off stage. John Lee jumped off his kit ran round to the front started signing autographs right and I walked past him and I went oh I um, good show and he's like thanks mate and I went oh I saw you play at Glastonbury as well with Dub War and he went oh my god and he got really animated he's like oh my god really really and I was like yeah man I recognise you from the thing and he was like oh mate oh that's so good like oh he's like I love that band oh, great. and I was going yeah yeah they're you know, really really good and, stuff. and I was like oh you only played stuff from the first album right got into this big conversation about Dub War and how we got and he was so genuine so lovely and he was like, oh, come upstairs to the, the bar area, the private, like we're having a sort of after party thing. And Amazing. he took us upstairs, introduced us to Grant, introduced us to Tacker, 
bought us a drink, mm. got us a beer. We were like seven. Me and two of my mates were like, fucking hell. Gave us a T-shirt. They signed a T-shirt. They signed our ticket. And I just thought like, I was 17. You know what I mean? I was yeah. a 17-year-old kid. And yeah. like, he could have just gone, oh, thanks, mate. And I would have been like, oh, wicked. Yeah. I, I saw John Lee. You know, there's a bunch of times yeah. I remember bumping into Steph Carpenter from Deftones um, at a gig. And I just went, I love you, Steph. And he's like, thanks, man. And he just walked off. And I was like, oh, my God. But for him yeah. to do that, it was like, it was so, it was massive. Absolutely massive. Yeah. So, like, me Huge. and my mates, we walked out. We were, like, fucking on cloud nine after that. And I really, like, yeah. I felt like Fido were my band after that. I was like, I yeah. love this band. I went to, like... Yeah. We saw them do an acoustic set in an HMV. We went to all the, the shows after we started following them around on tour. Like, they'd see us and be like, oh, all right, lads, you know. And, you know, that's all because I happened to see John Lee drumming for another band. Yeah. So, I think, I don't, you know, I don't know John Lee. I don't know what happened in the aftermath of it. I was, no. by the time he passed away, I was listening to very, very different music. I was listening to very, very heavy, mm. different. And Feeder had gone in that kind of Echo Park direction. I think you're right as well. They weren't making albums yeah. that were as, like, as good as they just weren't as good as this as this record. This is just no, just a no. It's not, but it, you know, mm. they kind of got massive, which kind yeah. of oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, they got huge, man. Got, you know, I mean, you know, I, I saw them. I saw them at, at Wembley Arena uh, on the. Um, uh, comfort and sound tour cycle you know they the first the first three day downloads they had on the fucking it. Friday yeah headline the fucking Friday that's cr it's crazy it's Megadeth and was it Megadeth and Gut ran weird fucking lineup yeah that, garbage uh, Megadeth JJ72 yeah. like a weird lineup yeah but, but, you know but to but, go back to you know jo for John Lee to do that we didn't have to do yeah. that and like so when he no. when he passed away even though I wasn't really that interested in feeder at that point I felt really fucking, I felt really, really sad because I was like, that guy yeah. gave me as a young, impressionable music fan such, like, so much of his time that he didn't need to, that he didn't need to do. And I thought that was like, you know, yeah. that was, that like really, it has stuck with me for, for, for years. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I mean, even like, like, a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago, um, I went to see um, Reasons and, and Hellas for Heroes at um, Hammersmith, and um, like, I, I, I was I was sat in the um, we were lying in the what you call it the main kind of concourse bit as you get in, like getting a beer and stuff, like uh, like met with um, with Mike Collins, yeah, um, the legend that is. <laughs> And uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Sean is it? Uh, uh, Leddington. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, good lad, man. And um, I, I, I was just standing. I was standing there with, uh, with like Mike, Sean, and Prim, Prim was there with me. And uh, I think I, I was I was talking to I think Mike, and all of a sudden I just stopped talking. And he was like, "What?" And I was like, "That's fucking Grant Nicholas." <laughs> And like Grant Nicholas just like walking past it. Prim was like, talk to him. So I was like, fuck no, no. He wrote Tangerine. I can't talk to him, you know. Uh, so like, you know, Prim, bless her. She was like, right, you know, hold my drink. And so she went over, you know, like went over to Grant and, and sort of motioned me to come over. And like, he's, he's so fucking just 
lovely, normal, yeah. humble, mm. nice guy, man. And this is like, you know, best part of 30 years into their career now. And he was lovely, man. And we, we, check, we you know, we were sort of chatting like, you know, good sort of five, 10 minutes. It was lovely. Very nice people. And yeah, just good people, man. And, you know, they're still, you know, are, are going concerned. You know, they're, they're another one a bit like... A, I suppose kind of like therapy in the way, but I mean, obviously they got a lot, much, much bigger than therapy uh, for a kind of sustained period of time. But they, they had their time in the sun as being like you know Radio One, big weekend festival headliners. Mm-hmm. You know they've had they had their time as an arena bands, headlining arenas and stuff. Um, but they, but you know, they've still got like the hardcore kind of feeder fans. Who will always be there and fair fucking place to him, man. And like I said, you know, the last couple of albums been really good. Been pretty decent, man. Mm. They've been pretty de- just good British rock albums. And you know, I would never deny Grant anything because of the songs that are on this album. Just, you know. And you go and see them and they don't even play that much off it, but you still have a great time. No, I'm always they, like, they don't. Oh, I wish you'd play a few yeah. more songs off it and they don't. Yeah. But still, still. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah they, it, it's great. So there you go, man. Yeah. yeah what, what a fucking, yeah. what a time. 1997. That yeah. is three yeah. massive songs from 1997. Yeah. Um, yeah. It all gets a bit squiffy after this, I think, right? I think, you know, it's some good... Yeah. Brit Rock albums that come out, but you mentioned like Shaving Peaches by Terrorvision. We've talked mm. about the acrimonious uh, departure from the scene by um, Three Colours Red. Uh, we've spoken about maybe diminishing returns for a band like Feeder. Y- you have to also, uh, you know, I guess caveat that with the rise of some of the bands that we hadn't talked about. Um, Idlewild, uh, yeah, man. like did what you know became very, very. I'm not a fan, but Muse obviously were a thing. Um, yeah, yeah, not really a fan, particularly. Um, but that sort of that, that when bands like like when the Wild Hearts imploded after Endless Nameless, which is a you know a, a glorious a glorious thing to happen. I wish we had <laughs> yeah. more time to talk about that, yeah. but like, yeah. what, what a glorious yeah. thing to happen, right? And um, yeah, well, it just and that's one that Sam for who I did a podcast with is like, oh, I fucking love that album. It's really great. It's like, of, yeah, course of course he did. likes that one because it's fucking unlistable fucking noise. <laughs> <laughs> of course he fucking likes that one. Yeah. He won't, he won't like bloody Fishing for Luckies because it's way too tuneful. Mm. And, you know, a band like Symposium come along, do a bit, split up, yeah. turn into Hell yeah. is for Heroes. British rock music yeah. in the early part of the 2000s, um, we have to give credit, I think, really, as much as it will pain you to do it the truth is the truth and the truth is lost profits did a lot to change they did british they really guitar did. music like they yeah they just did like it yeah they did. you don't want to be nice about that guy and i'm not gonna be nice about that guy but let's no. suffice to say were it not for lost profits it's hard to they, think what the scene yeah, they, they, like. they, they opened up they opened up the door to, to british guitar bands again because you know that period from like when Endless Nameless kind of came out and Wild Hearts imploded. A year later, Therapy basically we've spoken about Assembly Tatched. Yeah. That was it. They, they were done. Um, 
you know, all those kind of first wave bands, you know, Skunk and Nancy, Hedgeline Glastonbury mm. and fucking Split the same year. Mm-hmm. Fucking mental. mental. Fucking mental time. Mm. Three Colours Reds had the biggest hit of their career. Gone. Um, Reef. Just were kind of like the bands like Reef and releasing not Well, great Reef albums. got massive and then, and, and, that, and that was it. Done. Yeah. They were done. You know, um, it was it was weird, man. Um, but yeah, you sort of fast forward to like yeah, two thousand and two, and like I do think a lot of it it had, I mean, you know, it's obviously right place at the right time, and obviously especially bands like Lost Bro. But I do think that when Kerrang TV launched, that had a lot to do with it as well, because when Kerrang TV first launched, that was around that sort of time when Funeral of Friends. Were starting hundred reasons for starting Hell, um, Hell is for Heroes, Lost Profits, um, and th- th- they were getting exposure twenty four seven on this new fucking rock channel. Mm. Yeah, it was you know, it was yeah. some kind of renaissance of yeah Ruben as well. You can put in there as yeah, well. The, I mean, yeah, there was there were a lot of bands from that period. Yeah, um, I mean yeah. Biffy Clyro came up around this yeah, time, Biffy, right? Man. Million yeah. Dead, yeah. like a couple, it's probably a couple of yeah. years later. Oh, but you know, yeah. you chuck in yeah. Million Dead and you chuck in um, yeah. Ocean Size. I, yeah, and it, so you know, there's yeah. a, a lot yeah. of bands in me were massive for a minute, weren't they? Yeah, like suddenly well, in in me got in me got fucking front cover of Kerrang because their video was on Kerrang TV. Mm. Was it what what was that song called? Um, oh. The first single. I can't remember. Under- the album was over, uh, Overgrown Eden. Overgrown Eden. Eden. Yeah, it? I was thinking Underground Eden. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember the name of the song. Anyway. Underdose. Underdose. That was right, the first okay. Single. Yeah, that was yeah. One that was, it was everywhere. Th- yeah, but there was yeah. a bunch of just these bands that suddenly came along, I would say, kind of really. Yeah. Not necessarily strictly in the aftermath of Lost Profits, but Lost Profits, like you say, they broke the door down for them. And one of the bands who had, again, been kind of chugging along, um, (laughs) we've already mentioned them, uh, A, How Ace of Buildings was an album that I got. I don't think I got the day it came out, but I got it pretty early on because Kerrang. I got it the week it came out. Yeah, Foghorn was on a Kerrang CD. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking mad song! And again, I went to Red and Alley Cat to watch. I went to watch A so many times on that. Same that period of uh, How Ace of Buildings and mm. A versus Monkey Kong. I must have seen yeah. A 25, 30 times. If Ross from Symposium is listening, which you kind of assure me that he is, um, yeah, Ross, I apologise for getting on stage and kissing Jason Perry at the Scala. And then jumping off the monitor and landing on you and basically killing you. <laughs> not well, not basically killing you because you're still here. But that happened. I remember just being like, "I'm going to fucking that's, jump." That's, I'm going to say that's the most '90s story you've ever told. <laughs> I'm going to jump off the stage. And I remember like a load of people moved, and I just saw, and I was like, as I came down, I was like, "Fuck!" There's only one bloke who's going to, and it seems to be Ross from Symposium. So it was a very confusing <laughs> thing. But I think I just kind of clattered him crush i don't know if he yeah. got out of the way in time or not and i just landed on the floor but it was quite embar- i just remember being embarrassed and sort of confused by the whole thing but anyway um great time but you i never really thought to myself oh a that'll happen yeah. like that'll be a that'll be a thing that the pop chart because they were too cartoonish yeah. and ridiculous and then yeah, it was especially yeah yeah mad yeah. again riding the wave mm. Riding the wave, man. They certainly were. I, 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 
like you said, you know, A, A, were, A were the perennial support bands. They were always so much fun live. Probably the most fun band out of all of them. Out of all of them. It was just like, I don't know, just, just eating a, a kilo of sweets washed down with a crate of Red Bull <laughs> whilst listening to Van Halen or something. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, obviously, the, you know, the, the, the Perry Twins... Um, Jason and and Adam, God bless them, man. Yeah, J- Jason Perry, he was he was Brit Rock's kind of answer to like if if Sting and Geddy Lee had a son, yeah, you know. And but like you said, I I, I used to see I used to see them all the time. They they used to play. They used to be this little shitty venue in Cambridge called the Boat Race. They they used to play it like every three months. You know, it was like 150 cap venue. Um, and I'd, I'd always buy their singles. I mean, the first time I saw A, there was like three people there, literally three people. At the, it was at the Harlow Square. Hmm. They were supporting the, uh, a band that we went down to see. Uh, and I, I fell in love with them. I, I remember going to like our price and ordering five in the morning on single. <laughs> and then I remember Bad Idea getting single of the week and I was like, oh, fucking that's that band. I, just remember, yeah. I remember buying the Bad Idea single. Fuck even now it's playing in my yeah. head did, and it's just making me smile did, did you, you know? did you ever hear the b-side good idea oh, good idea oh yeah. good idea yeah easy b-sides good idea yeah <laughs> genius <laughs> fucking genius Rocky 4 I remember being one of the ones that was, yeah, yeah, yeah fucking Rocky great yeah. um, and then obviously you know a lot like how Ace of Buildings it's, 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 it's just a kind of giddy teenage rush of an album and then, but you know, Monkey Kong comes out. I remember Zoe Ball making "I Love Lake Tahoe" her single of the week, and I was just like, "Okay, here we go, strap in, boys. My secret band are now going to get big." Yeah. And again, it didn't happen. It, didn't it just happen. didn't happen. No. There was t- it was too it was too out there. It was too wacky. Well, <laughs> it was too fucking. Uh, I don't know. It was just. I mean, I loved it. I, f- I mean, I still I fucking adore. A versus Monkey Kong, oh, objectively, possibly their best Definitely album. Definitely their best album. I think. I mean, I went to see just before, just I think it was about two or three months before COVID hit. I think it was Christmas 2019. Me and Prim went to see, went to see A because they were doing the Monkey Kong 20th anniversary tour. We went to see them in uh, in a three quarters empty uh, Coventry. I can't remember what the fucking venue is called in Coventry now, uh, but. It, Rummel venue, but they were fucking amazing. They were fucking amazing. Um, I saw that tour at the garage. I went to the garage to see that tour. Yeah, because- I think the garage date was the night after, and it was fucking heaving. Yeah, and <laughs> what yeah. we're about to talk yeah. about from the next album. Yeah. They do that. They yeah. do that in like the forum or the fucking Shepherd's Bush Empire. Yeah. But when they do yeah, A versus yeah. Monkey Kong, they do the garage, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which says yeah. everything, but, I think. But basically, when they do the um, um, How I Said Buildings tour, they're basically going to be playing my bedroom. Mm. <laughs> That's the size of venue. Would love it. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I generally thought, I was, I was like, okay, you know, A, it was my fun, funny, ha ha ha, do you remember Bad Idea at five in the morning and, and Sing Along and Number One and all these wacky fucking mad singles they had, big rock tunes. And then out of nowhere, n- nothing, the first track of Five Five Serious gets fucking A-listed on Radio One. Yeah. It's fucking on Kerrang! TV and MTV2 every 10 minutes. 
and literally out of nowhere, and because as it turned out, I mean, the band was like basically dropped the previous year. And I think their manager at the time, uh, whose name escapes me now, um, basically managed to wangle some like actual, like it was cash money. They managed to wangle out the record company to go and make some demos. And they, they, they went to a studio, did, did some demos. I think Starbucks, nothing, and something's going on. And basically immediately immediately re-signed to their, to their record, previous record label. Wow. And it's like 2000, 2002, right? Yeah, 2002. 2002, yeah. So this, uh, that, that, this comes out on the 4th of March, 2002, the album. And I yeah, believe... Yeah. I believe um, that nothing came out like a little bit before. So I think it probably it did. It came out January. Yeah. It was January yeah, time. Yeah. It's January time. Mm. I'm, and um, I, like the, the job I was doing at the time, I was, I was working in like a like a little warehouse of like a. It was a two way radio company. Ask your parents. <laughs> Fucking mad. <laughs> mad. Don't, right? don't bother. No, it's a two-way radio company I worked for. Um, we, we had Radio 1 on, on you know, a little shitty radio in the corner. And there, there was like, there's there only like three of us who worked in the warehouse, but we'd all be like walking around the warehouse going like, give yourself love. <laughs> give yourself skin. You know, trying to get as high as we can. Um, and, but it was mad. Like, you know, I, literally out of nowhere they were on the front cover of Kerrang I remember like front cover of Metal they were on the front cover of Metal there you go fuck put that on your fucking hype sticker wow yeah front cover of fucking you know and like top of the pops um Kerrang awards you know end of 2002 I think the inner city sumo tour they headlined and sold out Brixton it's insane fair fucking play to them man You know, Starbucks was everywhere that summer, man. Those songs crossed over to the people that didn't like rock music. That's how big nothing in Starbucks got. You know, everyone knew. You know, and if you, and you know, if you, if you're chatting with someone of a certain vintage, <laughs> you know, right, <laughs> and you, and, and uh, you know, you just go like, he works on automatic. The person will just go, Mister Cleaver, I. I guarantee it. Don't want your job in Starbucks. And for, for about six months, it was so lovely because you know I, I, I like to think that I'm not a gatekeeping prick. <laughs> but, um, but sometimes I, I'm just like, how fucking dare you? You no, they're, they're my secret little band, right? How dare you fucking listen? No, you're not listening to this shit. No, no, you're not worthy enough. But I was so fucking happy, right? When A got big, I was so happy. I was, I was like, yeah, go run free, mm. Let, you know. And but again, like, especially like three colors red, like like television, like Curb Dog, you know. That six, that glorious six month period, they were fucking everywhere. They were huge. Yep, huge, huge band. Um, and then, yeah, it was another three years. Uh, I think Jason was ill. Then he lost his voice. They had record company issues and shit like that. But then, you know, the next time, did Team Dance Ordinance came out in two thousand and five, mm. and 
So I think I was like the only I was the only person who bought the album. I think you know. I, I and, bought it for about quid in FOP about two years after it came out. I think. Mm. Um, Hi-Fi. So here's the thing: like I also don't consider myself a um, a gatekeeping prick either. And I was delighted to see A on the main mm. stage and playing Britain. And I was like, how weird! Yeah. But the thing yeah. about it was is that to make those songs and look, don't get me wrong, nothing's a banger, right? nothing's a banger and this whole thing of them being oh they're a one hit wonder thing like they played the download pilot a couple of years ago and there was a few kind of people that I was with who were a bit younger like well a lot of people there were younger than me and they were going A like what are they they've got that one and we're going to come in I was like you all need to come watch A so all these people came out and watched them and I was like they're going they've only got one song they've only got one song and I was like I will sing every word to every fucking song they play right and so they were going through all the kind of how Ace of Buildings a versus Monkey Kong stuff and they ended obviously with nothing and I left while they were playing nothing I was like I'm this is how much I love the other stuff I will actually I don't need to see nothing because it's not it's not of the same calibre of the other stuff I don't really believe Mm. that it's a great song it's a banger something's going on is really good Starbucks is really really good as well and um but I think they did lose something about them so yeah i think the thing about a was is that you know the old folks are losers they can't use computers you know <laughs> the streets the the streets are very wide that's where sonny bono died like uh or, so funny died. Yeah, yeah you know it, fucking some Wonderful. of that some of that shit that they used to say you know we it, like Van Halen and Iron Maiden. Maiden. Che- I'll rock che- your face yeah, in. We're cheeky. Mon- I remember it. I went to see him once. I bumped into Dan P. Carter, and I went, "Are oh, you going to play Cheeky Monkeys tonight, Dan?" He went, "No, it's a bit silly that song. We're not going to play that anymore. It's a bit silly." I was like, "You are, Prick. you are silly. Like <laughs> your whole that's the point that's- of your band. You're silly, right? Yeah. Surely." Yeah. So, um, yeah. mental. Anyway, so but I did. I think you know they went from something which to me was like this kind of almost like skate punk version of ween or devo into yeah. like yeah into like oh they're a bit like wheatus or they're a bit like you know stacy's mum or they're a bit like the bloodhound gang and i think their songs are good but they don't have that character that the first two records had and i think they had to kind of maybe tone it down a little bit because you know of course they, they seem wacky doing nothing on top of the pop, like on top of the pops. Oh yeah, it seems fucking mental. Yeah. But when you put it next to like yeah. the stuff of of A versus Monkey Kong, like it's quite yeah. straight comparatively. But yeah, of course it is. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So I get it, and I quite like it. But it's it, but it's still quintessentially A. It so. is, yeah, it is. I think it's just maybe you know when you meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time. And you kind of comb your hair. Well, I used to comb your hair, and you like. We always used to cut my hair. <laughs> yeah, you like tuck your shirt in and stuff. I felt like A were a bit more like when they got on telly. It was a bit more like, yeah. oh, okay, well, we'll be a bit more sort of sensible, or not even sensible, but we'll be, be a bit more. We won't. We won't be as sort of the boisterous thing that I loved about the first two records. Like, yeah. it wasn't quite there, and it meant that. I think people go, oh yeah, I really like that band A because they're a bit like Blink One Eighty Two, 
And to me, it's like, well, Blink-182 yeah. are boring and they're stupid and they're just not interesting to yeah. me. Whereas A, were genuinely yeah. like a bit weird, which I like that kind of new wave weirdness that they had. Yeah. Those bands that yeah. I just mentioned, it was sort of gone a bit from there and it was like basically kind of boiled down to slightly more bass elements. Good album, decent album, but not yeah. but not one that I hold in such high regard. It'd be my third favourite A album, mm. but um, I I I just I it I just thought it'd be cool to kind of sort of bring that one up as in like the least likely to succeed. I think yeah. were the ones that became one of the biggest bands from that initial run of that wave of, of British rock bands, mm. you know, they're yeah. a great band, man. Like they're great. Like for a few mm. years, even when I was just listening to hardcore and, and being yeah. proper, like I'm oh, serious. I like through Gazi now. <laughs> I still was like, oh, but a, but I still love a, yeah, but a. do you know Can't what I mean? Like, I still yeah. love a, whatever. Like, you know, you give me all mm. the fucking mad boy albums you want, but I, <laughs> Still gonna put I Love Lake Tahoe or somewhere on the underground on. Yeah, no, I am. yeah. I still, I, I still take old folks over that any day. Yeah, you know. And there was there was so much kind of joy because where they were kind of cherry picking all their influences from. Obviously, obviously, like you know, the whole Beastie Boys thing was was a massive, especially on their videos, like the whole kind of fisheye lens and stuff like this, and. I, I think that was the thing with, I mean, especially especially A, probably more than any other bands that we've spoken about tonight. There was just like a, a, a joyful, youthful, almost abandonment to it. They looked like, they looked like a gang that I kind of wanted to be part of. They just looked like they were having so much fucking fun. Mm. When, probably looking back, they literally didn't have you know, a pot to piss in, mm. you know, their PDs were probably like 10 pence a day or something. There was no money, but they looked like they were having the fucking best time in their videos on stage, you know, the, the whole kind of, you know, everything's ace, everything's awesome and all that. And I think they generally thought that they were just having the best time yeah. being in a fucking rock band and fucking God love them for it. And I think actually what yeah. you've touched on here. Uh, as we end this podcast, is that really all that stuff you just said about A, about the kind of joie de vivre, um, that is something which kind of runs through all of this era. And when we get past this point and we get into places where Feeder are headlining download, Biffy Clyro are playing arenas, Muse are playing stadiums, um, bands now in British bands. And I think it's cool, right? I think it's cool that British rock bands now can have careers. I think it's cool that a band like While She Sleeps can headline Alexandra Palace. That is fucking maddening to think that, you know, a band that heavy who came from the underground Sheffield metalcore scene can headline Alexandra Palace. The fact that Bring Me The Horizon, those weird deathcore kids, are headlining Download and Reading and playing the Brits with Ed Sheeran. Like, that shit is brilliant. But... I talk to a lot of bands, I talk to a lot of young bands, and it is different because they have a plan. They have a thing where they're like, we can, if we do the social media right and we do the thing right and we look the right way and we do yeah. that, really in 10 years' time, you know, we want to be at Brixton. And I think all of these bands that we've been speaking about today, I don't think any of them ever really believed that that was going to happen. 
No, I don't think any of them had a plan to start with. No. I generally think that, you know, um, the, uh, obviously a lot of these bands got signed as a result of the Wild Hearts, I guess, and especially like sort of like the second wave of bands got signed as a result of Britpop. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I don't think, you know, I, I don't think Terrorvision and their fucking wildest ideas ever thought they'd have a number two hit or would be, you know, massively high up on, on festival bills and stuff like this. I don't think Three Colours Red ever really had a plan. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't, you know, as, as you know, as, as a kind of common knowledge, Curb Dog were too fucking lazy to have a plan. They could be asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you were going to, if you were I, writing I, the book for kind of commercially successful rock music, it wouldn't be like a high pitched guy singing about old people wearing a fucking visor, wearing a visor and like sort of no. swinging his arms around. You did, like, that wouldn't maybe, be what it was. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what made it so exciting back then. That they were what? What's the phrase? Living by the by the seat of your pants, or whatever. Mm. What's the phrase? I can't fucking remember. It's something like phrases. that. Yeah, yeah. fill in your own. Yeah, all fill in your own phrases. You know what? You know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just like just put your foot down. Let's see what fuck happens. Fuck it. Just fuck it. Yeah. And the the, the whole kind of I don't know spreadsheetness of today. I I've never been a fan of that kind of slick planning. Mm. But fair fucks to any band that can, that work that way. It's it's an interesting fucks, it's an interesting balancing act because I think on one hand, you know, bands are more professional now and bands have more opportunities yeah. now and bands have like a real um, desire and and they believe that they can be something. You know, they really believe they can be something, and yeah. that's cool. That's brilliant. That's like fucking amazing for them. But this was a period where I think people just went, we're going to start a band and get in a van and see what happens and make some music and it'll be weird yeah. and it'll be like, yeah. and we probably won't get anywhere because at the moment all people care about is Green Day and Corn. So what fucking chance yeah. of four blokes from Bradford got? Yeah. What chance of, you know, two, <laughs> yeah. like, two guys who don't really get on, one of them likes Nick Drake and the other one likes the Sex Pistols, like making rock music. Like, how's that going to work out? Like... You know, mm. how are three guys from Kilkenny who, you know, are making these lovely melodious pop songs or a band like Silver Sun? It's just, you know, some, like you mentioned, like nerdy looking guys making Beach Boysy sugary melodies. Yeah. A band like, you know, we like the Wild Arts, the most combustible thing you can possibly imagine <laughs> in music. Like, yeah. you know, I, I do yeah. I do miss, like I think, you know, the scene now is great. There's some really good bands around. I miss the sort of, I miss the the not knowing. I feel like everyone's got yeah. everyone everyone knows that like it's attainable. And back then it wasn't it it, it never felt no, obtainable. It so when it happened, it no. was like so amazing. So amazing. Yep. Um but anyway, good time to be alive, as is now. Like, I'm not I'm not slagging off now, it's good now. It's good as well. It's not as good though, is it? It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's not as good though, is it? <laughs> no, it's not as good. <laughs> it's just not as good um anyway mate thanks for inviting me on to share this 
unbelievably my, my absolute pleasure mate yeah this uh there was, there was only one person for the job mate you know plus it, you know there was only one person that, that would be able to have a conversation about polythene <laughs> <laughs> let's be absolutely honest about this yeah well you know it's slim picking it is i know we've uh we, lo- we lost a lot of good men in the Britpop wars didn't we but um you know we, did, mate. <laughs> we uh we, we 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 soldier on but mate here's to another 50 invite me back in um in uh, 49 episodes time and we'll do it all again but with my pleasure whatever you fancy really it's up to you completely Um, thanks for listening guys Uh, I appreciate that that's um, nice I hope you've enjoyed the show keep on listening to Gaz's excellent podcast if you want to listen to my podcast by the way it's true cult pop with loads of V's in it just loads of V's in the wrong place in it I'm not even going to spell it for you 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 have to find it yourself but um, yeah uh, I'll be back uh, and Gaz I think will be back with me quite soon i don't know when this is going out mate you haven't told me when this is going out so i'm just gonna say um, you may either have already been on the show or you will soon be yeah. being on the show thanks always for your time always a pleasure never a chore thank mate. you nice one nice one thanks guys cheers for listening there we go cheers steve for uh, interviewing me and uh, joining in the 90s memories and conversation what a time to be alive and I will not have it any other way <laughs> so yeah normal service resumes next week well, well well I say normal I mean there's the last three guests of the season who are going to be all Brit rock royalty and uh, yeah so over the coming weeks let's chat with um, with Ben Harding from Three, three Colours Red uh, Adam Lee from China Drum and Sir Andy Cairns from Therapy is back for another chew on the Track One Side One podcast was always Take care of each other. Take care of those that matter. As our fuck the Tories. I'm out here. Peace. Top five side ones. Side ones. Track one. You've been listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host, Gaz Jones. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter by searching for Track One Side One podcast to keep fully up to date with all future guests. And there will also be Spotify playlists linked to each episode. So please check all that out. And I'll see you soon.